do we equip our families with a biblical worldview? How do we prepare the next generation for life? How do I grow in my walk with the Lord and in my marriage? If you wrestle with these questions, you are in the right place to find answers. Welcome to the Entrusting the Faith podcast. Welcome to the Entrusting to Faith podcast. I'm your host, Eric Rutherford, and I'm excited today because I have with me Jill Nelson. She is an author and director of content development at Truth78, and she has authored just several books. Uh, Among those books, Jesus, What a Savior, The ABCs of God, To Be Like Jesus, Uh, Your Word is Truth, and the book we're going to be talking about today is God's Attributes. Uh, but she's written a bunch more. She also develops training seminars, articles, other resources relating to children's and youth ministry. But, but even beyond that, she is a wife, a mother, grandmother to six, soon to be grandmother to seven. Uh, most of all, she loves the Lord and chases heart after Christ. Two quick items before we get to our interview. First, if you go to our website at entrustingthefaith.com. Scroll down to the bottom, sign up for our weekly emails so you know who is coming up on the podcast for the week and who you may have missed the previous week. Uh, You'll also get a free resource when you do, and you can find all our other podcasts on our website while you're there. Feel free to scroll through them, find other interviews uh, to really help you along the way. Uh, Second, this episode is just brought to you by my book, Leading While at Home, How Husbands and Fathers Can Biblically Lead Their Families. So if you've ever thought, man, I want to be a godly husband or father, I don't know where to start, or you've heard that you need to do something to equip your family, but you just don't know where to begin, if this is you or, you know, anybody you know, Leading While at Home will show you how you can love Jesus Christ, love and serve your wife and children, and take responsibility for discipling your family. You'll be encouraged and given action steps that you can apply so that you're moving forward. Okay, now let's jump into today's episode. Jill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh, so glad you're here today. And so we we definitely want to get to God's attributes in your, your book, which is, for everybody listening, it is phenomenal. And I'm excited to be able to, to make you aware of it today. Would you just share a little bit of uh, your background? And kind of what what got you here? Okay, sounds good. Um, well, I grew up in a very loving family. Uh, we faithfully attended a mainline denomination Lutheran church. Um, but it wasn't until my teen years that my older brother brought me to his church, which was an evangelical Bible church. And it was the first time I really clearly heard the gospel. And it's where God drew me to himself. It was about age 15, I think. Um, from there, I went off to college. My actual major is biology. Uh, that was my degree. But while in college, I met my future husband, Bruce, wonderful husband. We've been married now for 40 years. Um, we actually got married while we were still in college. And um, soon after that, had our, our first child, our daughter, and then later our son. Um, we After we got married, we actually landed at a church called Bethlehem Baptist Church, which well known for uh, John Piper was the pastor there. And so we were there for 30 years. Um, That's where I got involved in children's ministry and uh, under David and Sally's leadership, uh, just learned a ton. Uh, Working with children, a vision and philosophy for children's discipleship. 
Um, and now my husband and I were at a little smaller Baptist church in Minnesota and um, involved there in teaching children. I just, I love teaching children the Bible. And I'm happy that now my grandchildren are being taught biblical truth and being discipled and just being able as a grandma now to influence them spiritually. So that's just a little bit of my background. I love that. I love that. It's this long-term, long-view goal of, of biblical discipleship to, to multiple generations going forward. Yeah. Uh, that, I love that. The grandparenting so years aren't a time to check out. They're a time to further invest in the next generation. Oh, thank you for saying that too, because I think sometimes we, so I'm, I'm a parent. I've, my, my oldest is 16. My youngest is 11. Well, I've got 16, 15, 11. And so, you know, we're, we're not to that stage yet, but that's become really apparent. I've become really aware of that. It's like, whoa, my job is not simply to equip them to follow Christ for their life, but we just got to keep going. We, we don't get to, to hit pause. Is that something you, do you run into that? Do you think a lot of people think that? It's like, oh, I'm a grandparent. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Um, I think it's, I think it's what we've experienced in the church is kind of half and half. Um, I think there, there is a group of uh, grandparents who kind of think I've done my bit and now it's time for us to pull back. And, but yet I know a ton of grandparents who are just so spiritually invested in their grandchildren's lives. I know one grandma, her, her grandkids um, are overseas because the parents are missionaries and she does devotions over video with them on a regular basis. And just, you know, it's, so I think it's, I would love to see more grandparents investing not only in their grandchildren's life, but in the church itself. Um, I love to see gray hair in the classrooms. Um, it's, I think it's great. Me too. Yeah, me too. I, I don't think, you know, we are called to follow Christ uh, as long as he has given us breath. And so however, however many years that is. And so I'm excited for that. I'm excited to hear that. And, and not only about what you're doing, but about what you see around you uh, in that, that long-term focus on discipleship. And that, that kind of leads us into your book, which uh, God's Attributes. Uh, would you tell us a little about the book? And, and it's like, I think we were talking before the show, it's being released today. So we're recording on May 25th, so so it's now available. So would you tell us a little bit about it? Well, it was actually birthed um, almost 30 years ago. Um, it's adapted from the first curriculum I ever wrote, which was called the ABCs of God, which was a curriculum based on teaching children the attributes of God. And where the idea came from actually was uh, the first time a friend invited my husband and I to listen, they invited us to their church to hear this young pastor named John Piper uh, preach. And my husband and I started going to Bethlehem. We were blown away. We had both grown up in the church our whole lives. 
And yet we were blown away by what we were hearing about who God is and what God is like. I mean, John gave such a huge vision of God. It really, it, it turned our theological world upside down um, to hear God. And it just, what it instilled, what it produced in us is more of a confidence in God, more of a love for God, honoring him for who he was, more of a joyful obedience. And what we found is we don't want our children to have to, you know, wait till they're in their 20s to hear the God of the Bible just being taught and preached this way. And so, um, and we wanted that for the children of the church. So I just started saying, could we take these huge truths about God and, and teach them in a way that children could grasp them by giving them illustrations? And um, so the ABCs of God was born. And thankfully, just a couple of years ago, uh, PNR um, approach, we, we talked together about um, creating another book called God's Attributes for the Making Him Known series that they had started several years ago. And so the timing was right. And so now we have the book. So I'm very grateful for that. Oh, I love that. And, and I think you're absolutely right. It's that idea of we, if, we can, if we can see God for who he is in all his glory, as much as we can understand in our finite understanding, which you know, is, is limited, right? We can right. only understand so much because we are not God. We are the created, not the creator. It, it changes a lot. And it helps us understand really who God is. And that's, man, that's the hard part. That's the important part. Because right. if we don't know who God is, we don't know what we're worshiping. Right. And we were, were created to worship. And the world has is bombarding us and bombarding our children with all sorts of things to worship and treasure. And they all look so appealing. And we need to give our children a view of the greatest treasure. I mean, children, if you, I remember my son some years ago when he was a little kid, I think it's like four years old, he was watching some program. I don't even know what it was, but he, here was this hyperactive little boy, but he sat there totally engrossed. It's like he came out of himself because he was so wowed by what he saw. And too often, I think we give children such a puny view of God. And then we wonder why they're chasing after the world or this or that and give them a big view of God that's in the Bible. And so that they're wowed. And hopefully the Holy Spirit uses that truth and just it's like putting kindling under them, teaching them who God is, and just praying then that the Holy Spirit will set it aflame in faith. Um, so I just get really excited introducing children to the most important things in the whole universe. Oh, and that's so important. It's it's that developing that awe. And I don't think I think we you're right. We have such a puny view of God and we just don't have that sort of moment or that understanding where it's like jaw dropping, no words to express 
seeing and understanding who he is, where we just sit there and there is like literally no, no response other than, wow, other than, other than simply awe. Yep. So I appreciate you, you pointing people and helping people see that. So who is now for, if for everybody listening, this is not, this is not one of those fluffy cotton candy kind of books, <laughs> which, which I was, I was really excited about. This is not a fluffy cotton candy kind of book. Um, and there's a lot of scripture in there, a lot of good questions, but it's very, it's very context for the audience. And so who, who is your target audience? Who is this written for? Um, I would say uh, elementary age children, especially seven to 11 year old would kind of be the targeted age. But, you know, as an adult, I can just read these things over and over and be um, blessed by it. But it's really for those elementary age kids. Um, and it's very interactive in its style. So it's best used with a parent or a grandparent sitting with a child and reading through it. I mean, it is reading accessible for an older child, but they're going to get the most benefit by reading it together with, with an, a believing adult. Um, so because it's there's questions and there's spiritual interaction we want happening there. Um, so it's not just give this to your child and tell them to read it. It's it's a discipleship tool. It's a devotional tool. And that makes perfect sense. And and I can totally see sitting down, reading that uh, with a child, going through it. And then as you do, you talk about 24 characteristics of God in the book. Um, did you, what led you to put them in, was there a particular order? And you're like, I think they need to go in this way. Do they build off one another? Um, any reason for 24 and, and the order involved? Um, well, 24 came because the previous Making Him Known series books, they all have 24 chapters, actually 26 chapters um, for consistency. Uh, the ABCs of God curriculum actually has 35 attributes of God that are included. So this is kind of a peering down, um, trying to include the most important. And there is a logical order because we're setting precept by precept. Um, helping kids understand concepts. For example, first children learn that God is the etern eternal creator, that he created everything. Then they learn that God is wise. They learn that God is almighty. The very next attribute they learn is God is sovereign. And that term God is sovereign, it builds on those previous concepts. Because God is the creator, he has the right and authority over all of creation. He is wise in everything he does. He is all powerful to make all his plans happen. So sovereignty is God has the right wisdom and power to do all that he pleases. So it just building that way helps them understand those concepts. Further in the book, you'll see the order is very intentionally pointing toward the cross. Children need to understand that God is wrathful, but that he is also patient. He is merciful. And he came to be the deliverer. So it's, it's building gospel, essential truths of the gospel, giving them an order so children can understand 
then what it means that Jesus came to be our deliverer. So yes, there is there is a, an intentionality in the order that is important and gives children a, con, a um, context for understanding um, God in a more logical manner in their thinking. Well, that makes sense that, that it builds off one another, that you're, you're, you're putting those pieces, those blocks in place as you're moving forward. You've got 24 chapters, 24 characteristics, but at the beginning of the book, you've got a chapter called the most important questions. And you really kind of bring up two questions that, that set that roadmap for the whole book. So would you be, would you share what those questions are and why they are so important to understanding really the rest of the book? Okay. Um, Well, the two most important questions are who is God and what is God like? I mean, everything else of who we are, of what's happening in the world, what the world looks like, are, are really whittled down into those two questions. And when we read the text of the Bible, that's really what we're seeing is God being the central character of everything. Um, and so it's basically meant to give children a doctrine of God. And if you look in systematic theologies, for example, often it talks about first, you know, the doctrine of the word of God, and then the doctrine of God. And so children need, um, it's helpful for children to have categories. I mean, children often are presented with lots of Bible stories, and those are good for giving them the narrative of scripture, but they also need a category just to understand who God is and what he is like. And, um, you know, the catechism says, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So you have to start off with who is God? What is he like? Before you can even understand how to glorify him and how, how can you enjoy and be satisfied in someone you don't know? Um, so it's giving children that category, a doctrine of God on which to see everything else in life. And I think, I think those are the, you, you absolutely hit it with those questions. Do you think, do you think we as believers and maybe even in the church, sometimes we, we don't answer that question first, or we don't address that question first, or we're looking, we're looking for all kinds of other answers, but we skip that. I mean, do you think that happens? Um, what do you think? I, I think it ha- happens a little, um, I think it happens inadvertently, especially with children, because as adults, especially as believers, if we've been taught well through the years, we already have those categories in our mind. Not, like I said, my husband and I, it wasn't until we encountered preaching like John Piper's that kind of like, whoa, we didn't, we weren't taught these categories. But, but I think sometimes we inadvertently as parents and teachers, we, we forget that children, I call them ABCs because, you know, before a child learns to write, first they learn the alphabet. They need those building blocks in order to create words and then to create sentences. And our children need these foundational truths of who God is to make sense of 
all the stories of the Bible, uh, you know, different doctrinal concepts, especially the gospel. Um, if children are to really um, understand the gospel, be um, drawn to it, to really live it out, they need to have the categories of who God is and what he's like. Else all of it's, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to be connecting the wires of their brain of what they know to how it's lived out and, and who the God of the Bible really is. Now, and that makes sense. And I appreciate that. I, I like that. And I would agree. It, it's sort of that in, inadvertent kind of thing where we don't think about it, maybe it gets skipped over. So I appreciate that distinction. And then as you go through the book, at the end of each chapter, you've got a section called Learning to Trust God. So what is it? How can parents use it? Because it's got some good stuff in there. Well, one of the things at True 78 we really focus on is learning. Biblical learning and discipleship involves three main things. Instructing the mind of what we know then engaging the heart. I mean, consider the Pharisees. They had a ton of biblical knowledge. Um, it was often skewed, but they knew a lot. They'd memorized large portions of scripture, but their hearts were stone cold. And we need to be, you know, when children read through a chapter and they're learning truths about God, who he is, what he's like, to just walk away is like the man in, in James. You see something in the mirror, you just walk away and you're not changed by it. So this section is specifically to help engage the heart of the children, to ask questions about the story that make it personal. You know, because God is almighty, what does that mean in your own life? Um, what what does God cause you to feel and desire? What, what actions do you need to take to respond rightly to who God is? Which that's the third most important question is how should we respond to God? So that is to really help parents or grandparents, whoever are using the tool, to really open prompts for further spiritual discussion to get into the heart of the child. Um, and it also, you know, talking about influencing the will. So it's, it's not what does it, the Bible just call us to feel, to desire, to love, to treasure. But what does it call the will to do? You know, what actions, what words, um, what steps should we take? So it's to bring it, make it, it's not just concepts out there for children. This is about also your heart, what you do, what you say, how you act. And that makes sense. And I, I'm glad they're there. And I like how you talk about instructing the will that, that we have to take action uh, on what we, on what we hear, on what we learn and it is, it is purposeful action. It doesn't just happen. It's not just random. It's not the role of a you know, roll of the dice, so to speak. It's that, that volitional response of what we do. And 
yeah, that's something we we have to, that's not only something we deal with ourselves and we have to, to do each day, but what we help our children and grandchildren to then say, okay, now that you know this, how do you act? One of, um, in the beginning chapter, talking about how should we respond, to use the example of a thunderstorm. You know, a thunderstorm comes, you see you're outside, you're playing baseball, you see the lightning, the thunder comes, the wind is, is whipping around. How, how would you rightly respond? What kind of response would lead you to safety? But what kind of response would lead you to danger? And that's true when we learn about God. There is a response that he calls for that will lead us to everlasting joy in him or lead us to everlasting destruction. I mean, these are, these are big issues. They're not minimal. And so as, as an adult reading with a child, you know, guiding children to see those, uh, how response is crucial, how we respond to God is is a big deal. And that's true. And that's, it is, it's eternal consequences. It is eternal consequences at stake, not simply for, for our lives, for our children's lives, but then what we and they both learn and understand and how we then all of us then influence those around us and those who come after us, where if we don't get that right, it leads into all kinds of heresy, destruction. Yeah. You know, you you just read the Old Testament and you're like, wow, all these people should have, it should have turned out so much better. And yet they they forgot, right? They they yeah. just didn't apply what they learned. <laughs> yeah. And we um, need to learn from that. And we need, you know. When a child, when you're reading about Israel grumbling in the wilderness and you think, how, how stupid could they be? I mean, they've just been let out of captivity in Egypt and now they're grumbling, you know, just days later. And to ask the children, ask a child, does you, are, are you ever like the Israelites? Do we ever act that way? Do we grumble against God? That they're seeing that our hearts are prone to the same response and um, and learning through that those examples from scripture um, and see what God is calling us. What is the right response um, is really crucial to help children make those connections. It is. And it's, it's one of those helping them to see it. I mean, even for any believer, it's that sobering realization that we are just like everybody else who has come before us, right? We, we are lost apart from the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We bring nothing to the table that Christ didn't give us. And so that's a, a stark reminder. And, and kind of with that, that's one of the other things I really like with each chapter. You just have questions as you go through the chapter. So as you're reading, if, so if you're reading with a child and you you just read it out loud, and then when you get to the end of it, when you see the question mark, just pause and let them respond. But what I thought was fascinating is you not only had the questions in the learning to trust God section, you have an activity like a physical activity. 
So why an activity and what makes it, what makes an activity different than questions only? Well, I think it helps children, especially younger children. Um, it, it's, it makes something very concrete for them. Um, it helps them remember and interact with biblical truths. For example, the lesson um, chapter on God is eternal from uh, talking about Isaiah um, 26, four, where it describes God as an everlasting rock who's always dependable, he's firm. And we give that illustration in the chapter, but then the activity is for, for the child to write out the verse at the top of the page, draw a large, you know, heavy rock at the bottom of the page and draw a picture of themselves, even a stick figure, if that's all they can do, on top of that rock. It gives them, you know, God uses so many images in the Bible to help us understand and grasp um, more abstract concepts about himself. You know, describing himself as a rock, it doesn't mean God is a rock, but for a child, if they can, you know, draw this picture and the, put themselves on a rock, it just helps them to better understand, I can depend on God, I can stand upon his promises. He will always and forever be God and rule over the world as the everlasting king. So just giving or uh, an activity of looking up a, a hymn and singing it together, it's connecting worship of God with what we have learned about God. Um, so, you know, making a little jar and during the week writing out, um, you know, something good in their life that God has given to them, putting it on the dining room table and every day, every member of the family just writing a little slip and putting in that jar. That's a visible reminder to a child that God is good and his goodness is seen in big ways, in little ways in the lives of their families. So that it just helps children um, drive home important truths and gives them an, an action they can do in response. I like that. I like the action in response to what they learn. And giving them those tangible, like almost tactile yeah. actions that they can do. And, you know, I can, you, you talk about the description of, of just drawing a picture of a rock and drawing, a, you know, yourself on the rock. I can totally see then any, any big rock they ever see out in the, out in the world around them. They can running, you know, they run up and cause that's what kids do, right? They see yeah. a big rock, they just run up and they got to stand on it and they climb on it. But it's like, oh, I remember, I remember drawing this picture. Now I'm standing on this rock that I couldn't move if I had to. Like, in fact, I see, I see these thunderstorms and all this other stuff. It's not moving the rock. I can, I could, I can draw that image. I can draw that image closer. So I, I appreciate the activity, and I thought it was fascinating that you included it. Um, as you go through all of the chapters, towards the end, you get to. You have a chapter at the end called Two More Questions. And what makes those two questions so important, especially to include at the end of the at the end of the book? Well, again, each chapter itself, um, it asks the two main questions: who is God? What is God like? And how should I act toward God? But then 
the the last chapter is really to emphasize again these are not just concepts out there to know these are concepts to live um, and throughout scripture we see um, what our identity is and let me tell you in the last couple of years the world has quite an identity to give children uh, a self-derived identity. You know, you can be whoever you want to be. You can, you know, if you say you're a unicorn, you're a unicorn and everybody's got to say you're a unicorn or you end up canceled or something or lose your job. So I want to make sure kids understand they have been, who they are. They are God's image bearer made for his glory. And God calls them to be something also. And then I just use a series of short verses, you know, be wise, be glad, be strong in the Lord. And what I want them to see is those are concepts they've already learned that describe God. And so basically we're talking about uh, the communicable attributes of God that God shares with his people these characteristics, these things in a certain measure. And he calls us, we're not called to be unicorns or, you know, like monkeys or dogs or anything. We've been created and designed in a very special way um, as his image bears to be basic. We are called to be like Jesus. We are called to be like his son. And that the only way that we can do that is through Jesus, through trusting in him as our one and only savior. And then to be ambassadors, to share his excellencies, which are his attributes, share them with friends, share them with family, share them to the whole world. Um, so it's, it's really to emphasize to children that these attributes of God are not these impersonal things. These are um, and we have been created for a special reason in a special pur purpose with, with a special design on our lives. Um, and so it's, it's like a final challenge and a final encouragement to children um, and, a, and a final gospel call too, um, to trust Jesus, to depend on him and um, be that chosen race, be the royal priesthood, um, God's people who are called to the best purpose of all in order to make known his excellencies, his attributes. Um, so it's, it's not like a totally separate, it's been throughout the book, you know, how do we respond? And it's just clarifying that response of who we are, what we're called to be in Christ. I like that, who we are called to be in Christ and sort of bringing that together, that final push and reminder, because you're right, it is, we get so, the culture around us bombards us with, with so many, so many lies about who we are and about what we're made for. And, and it seeps into the church. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, you, you, it bleeds into it very subtly, whether it's in, in everything, unfortunately. 
And so we need that reminder of who God is and who we are and that we are not on the same level, (laughs) but yet, but yet we are in Christ and for those who profess faith in him, right? Because it's not, this is not a universalism. You have a couple of chapters in there and we're only going to, for, for time purposes, we'll just hit one. Um, that when, if people are just reading through the table of contents, they're probably like, Hmm, I hadn't really thought about that characteristic. You know, one of them is jealousy and, you know, God is jealous. And one of them is, is, is God's wrath and God is wrathful. Would you want to talk about, would you want to share a little bit about either one of those chapters? Because I think it's important that we, again, the totality of scripture, uh, that we understand it, but also we need to understand it within the context of scripture. And then we need to, um, we, we have to, within that context, we also have to remember it is God and not us. And so it doesn't always apply equally. Would you, right. would you want to just pick one of those? Cause I know I gave you sure. both of them. Uh, I'll let you pick. Do you have a, a preference? I'll, I'll pick wrathful because it's probably the most controversial one okay. for teaching children. Um, first of all, God's wrath in it's from you see it from Genesis to Revelation. You need to deal with God's wrath. We we need to deal with who God is and how He's revealed Himself. Um, you know God's fierce anger at sin. He's He's right to be angry and He's right to punish sin. And one thing I would say is number one, the most important reason we need to deal with it. It's biblical, but it's a gospel issue. One of my huge concerns in the contemporary church is um, how we present the gospel to children. And often we present a a wrathless uh, gospel to children. It is not biblical. Children need to understand. They need to have a grasp of God's anger at sin. If they're to understand the amazing uh, work Christ redeeming work on the cross. What happened on the cross? Um, God's wrath at sin to understand some of the amazing mercy and love of God. You need to understand the amazing anger, rightful anger of God at sin. Um, Sin isn't mistakes. It's not simply misdirected love. It is looking at the Lord of the universe, the King of Kings, your creator who gives you life and breath and everything else and shaking your fist at him and saying, you are not the best. You're not the greatest. I don't need to listen to you. You know, children do have a righteous sense of anger. It's usually directed at somebody else, but they have a God-given innate sense of anger When somebody does something wrong, they want to see that person rightly punished. And in the the book, I use illustrations to give kids that mindset first. You know, what if you had, say, worked hard, earned $100, it's in your piggy bank, and somebody just came in and grabbed it and stole it? Would you be right to be angry? That is wrong, isn't it? And it's right for people to have consequences for wrong actions. And the worse the, the action, the more the consequence. It, and giving that children that kind of illustration first helps them to see um, 
God's righteous anger at sin is it's a right kind of anger. It's a holy anger. And it is God's righteous anger. His wrath at our sin is more than we can even imagine. And yet, and it's our biggest problem. And that helps children better understand the gospel and what Christ came to do. And we, you know, all through the Bible, we see story, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, the flood. How are you going to explain that to children if you haven't given them a sense of what God's wrath is and that it's a righteous kind of wrath? Um, even in the garden, you know, they eat a piece of fruit and all of a sudden there's judgment and they get kicked out and they're going to die. I mean, how can you explain that to kids? I mean, my grandkids steal a cookie, you know, <laughs> there's so children need uh, this concept. And I can say, you know, teaching children for the last 35 years, teaching the lesson on wrath, I have never had a child um, fall apart or be unnecessarily, um, you know, emotionally traumatized by it because children are still very matter of fact. They don't have a lot of the emotional baggage. They don't think through it in the way an adult does. But we're starting by giving this concept, explaining it biblically. And so they, I mean, when I've taught kids are like, well, of course God would be angry at that. You know, <laughs> it just, it follows. If you, if you give it a context, for what it is that people are doing when they're sinning against God, when they're disobeying him. It, it gives more of, oh yeah, God, I'd be right to be angry. Um, so I think it's just really important that we, and it, it's also just your tone and manner and demeanor when you teach on these, you know, you don't make it horrific and oh, there, but you know, matter of factly, and with a sober, a sober tone, helping children to really pause. And, you know, God, there's nobody who is as angry as God. There's nobody who is as right to be angry as God. And just giving them those kind of concepts and then, you know, leading them. But the next chapter, God is patient. He doesn't have temper tantrums. He doesn't fly off the handle. He's patient in his anger. And just, you know, and he's also merciful. He longs to forgive sinners. Um, so it, it's, it's a biblical issue. It is, you know, God cannot be loving if he also doesn't hate and is angry at sin. Um, he cannot be holy if he isn't rightly angered by sin. I mean, if I buy my children, uh, grandchildren, a special donut, beautiful donut with sprinkles and everything and, and get the garbage lid, that's all gunky and stuff and put the donut on there and hand it to him, them, that wouldn't be right. You know, and a holy God cannot tolerate sin. He cannot 
you know, say it's okay for that donut to be served on that icky, uh, disgusting platter. And so um, just giving our kids, a, you know, a foundational understanding of God's wrath, not overly, you know, yelling and screaming and, you know, but they need this truth. They need this truth in order to understand the gospel. And I would agree. I think you can't understand the, the immensity of his grace if you don't understand the immensity of, of his wrath and yeah. his, his anger and, and righteous anger towards sin and, and how even one sin, like you said, in the garden, they ate a piece of fruit and we think, oh, that, well, that wasn't that big of a sin, but God doesn't grade on, on, you know, their consequences are different um, based on, on what happens, but sin is sin, right? It's, it's all equal. We have all sinned against a holy God in, in anything that separates us. So I was really glad you had that one in there. And I loved how you described it. And so I think for everybody re reading who wants to read this, Check it out because it will give you some great context, some great conversation pieces to talk about it. Uh, because again, like, like you were saying, uh, Jill, it's we can't see the glory of God uh, apart from God's wrath and God's grace, both. And so, um, as we wrap up here, any takeaway you want to leave with families? Anything, bit of encouragement, action item? Anything you would like to, to leave them with uh, to, to apply in their lives? Well, I, I guess the only thing I would want to, to say is it's from the dedication. I wrote, dedicated this book to my oldest granddaughter, Elizabeth. And here's what I said. May the words of this book help you to see the incomparable greatness and worth of God through Christ May you experience God as your greatest treasure and your all-satisfying joy. May you trust, love, and follow him all the days of your life. And I think if this book can serve in a, just a tiny, tiny way to do that, I think it'd be wonderful. Oh, indeed. Indeed. And so if people want to know uh, more about you, where they can get the book, um, where, where do you want them to go? Well, um, where they can find out more about our resources is truth78.org, um, which includes lots of training resources, equipping resources, plus uh, this book and the Making Him Known series. The other place I would say is PNR Publishing, who published this particular book, and it's part of their series called Making Him Known. And I think there's eight books in this series now, eight or nine books in this series, and all written kind of with the same uh, devotional aspect. Um, so those two places, through 78.org and PNR Publishing. Excellent. So if you're listening, uh, I'm going to put that information in the show notes so you can go check it out, not only the book, but the other resources uh, to, to really be able to not only grow in your faith, but to be able to help the next generations, plural, uh, to become disciples of Christ and to follow him and to hold fast to their faith, uh, not just this day, but uh, for a lifetime 
uh, Lord willing. So Jill, thank you for joining me today. This has been, this is just a fun conversation. (laughs) Well, it's been fun and a great privilege for me to speak with you. If you found this episode helpful, please leave a review for us wherever you listen to podcasts. Doing so will help others to find us. Uh, Check out the show notes for resource information. We encourage you to do that for links and other references. We'd like to hear from you so you can message us your questions or comments on Facebook, Instagram, and Entrusting the Faith. You can email us at info at entrustingthefaith.com. If you go to our website, which is www.entrustingthefaith.com, you can sign up to our email list and receive free resources as well as upcoming podcast episode information. So check it out. Lastly, just remember, legacies are built a day at a time. So start now.